Hey everyone, this is John Mauser. I'm a fishing guide and a rod builder on the Crystal Coast of North Carolina. I'm using this podcast to build a relationship with all of you and to tell some stories along the way that will hopefully entertain, educate, and inspire everyone who's listening. This is the True Tales Podcast Show. How's it going, everybody? This is John Mauser, and you are listening to Episode 8 of the True Tales Podcast Show. Before we get started, I want to thank all of you for the feedback and support so far. You know, it's a bit intimidating to sit in front of this microphone, record your thoughts, and then put it out there on the internet for everyone to listen to. So I just really want to say thank you all for those who have emailed or texted me, or those who have put a review on your podcast platform. I really appreciate the feedback, and I'm excited about where we can take this show in the future. As I sit here recording, it's October 1st, and I'm watching the remnants of Hurricane Ian, which is now a tropical cyclone, pass through the Carolinas. We're very fortunate that we were spared the damage that Florida received, but I can tell you it's far from fishing weather out there. Hopefully in a few more days we'll be able to get back out and take advantage of the nearshore fishery that's been starting up. What I can tell you is that fall is definitely in the air. The air temps are dropping, and the water temps are falling. The humidity is gone. Bait fish, mullet, silversides, anchovies, they're all schooling up and they're pouring out the inlets. And the predator fish are gorging themselves. Mackerel, bluefish, albacore, stripers. They all look forward to the bait that pumps out the inlet each fall, probably as much as I look forward to my pumpkin spice coffee. For real. Don't judge me. These fish run through the water column. Once they find a bait ball, they drive it to the surface and they slice and dice through it until nothing's left. This is one of the most exciting experiences for a fly angler or a light tackle angler. The white foam on the surface is a fish cut across the surface of the water. Helpless bait spraying out into the air. Gulls diving above it, squawking as they try to get the bits of fish left over as a predator fish slice them in half. This is what us anglers refer to as the blitz. Sounds easy, right? Just motor your boat up, toss a jig or a fly into the blitz, and it's on. But in all honesty, it can be quite frustrating. I first went chasing after my favorite blitzing fish, the false albacore, back in 2006 on fly. I had been living down here on the Crystal Coast for about two years at that point, and was really getting enamored by the saltwater fly fishing here. I bought my first 10-weight fly rod and set out in pursuit of these fish. And although I found blitzing fish along the banks of Shackleford and Cape Lookout, I blew shot after shot after these fish get the boat within range, and by the time I started a cast, they were already moving away. Seemed like if something could go wrong, it would. Fly line tangles around cleats, knots in my line. I actually remember throwing my gear down in the boat and coming close to laying in a fetal position because it was so frustrating dealing with these fish. Why is it that other anglers would have so much success with these fish, and I couldn't even get a fly in front of their face? I actually caught my first albacore on my third trip chasing them that fall. 
my wife actually agreed to get up before sunrise and chauffeur me around in the boat so that I could cast at these albacore. She actually caught one before I did that day. She picked up a spinning rod and tossed it at them and hooked up immediately. She didn't let me live that one down for quite a while. Later that day, I did hook into my first false albacore on fly. It was a chunker. He was over 15 pounds, and it cemented in my mind how amazing these fish are. Not just the blitz, but the hookup and the fight. Just such an impressive fish, and I knew right then it was going to be one of my favorite all-time fish to chase on fly. It's been 16 years since that first false albacore, and I've learned quite a few things. A lot of these things that I've learned are just small, simple things that make a huge difference in your success chasing blitzing fish. Little things that you can fine-tune with your approach and your cast in fighting these fish that will double or triple your chances of catching them. I was thinking about this, and I think we can break it down into five areas of focus. And those areas are finding fish, boat positioning, casts and presentation, matching the hatch. And in this episode, I'm not going to get into checking the weather and the seas forecast and wave periods and all of that stuff. Just make sure that you have a good understanding of your area and what the weather's going to produce as far as seas and what's safe to navigate. Okay, so the first area of focus, finding fish. You would think finding blitzing fish would be easy. All the excitement and the spray and the foam and the birds on the water. But the ocean's a pretty big place. There are days that we find fish before we even break the inlet. And there are days where we put 100 miles or more on the boat before we see the first fish break the surface. Depending on the species that you're chasing, they may frequent the inlets, shoals, rock jetties. They could be right along the surf line close to the beach. Or they could be several miles off the beach in 40, 50, 60 foot of water. Often days, it's just getting to the inlet and deciding if you're going to turn left or right, covering water, and scanning for all the signs of feeding fish. So obviously, one of the things to look for is breaking fish. When false albacore feed, bluefish, Spanish mackerel, stripers, a lot of times they're coming out of the water. You can physically see the backs of the fish breaking. And each species has a different look when they feed. For example, bluefish to me, remind me of popcorn popping on the surface of the water. Spanish mackerel will come completely out of the water when they feed. In false albacore, they push water. It literally looks like they're slashing and throwing water across the surface as the bait sprays out. Speaking of bait spraying, often you'll just see schools of bait fish jumping and dancing across the surface. You may not see the fish break the surface. So keep a keen eye for small bait fish skittering across the surface of the water as they escape predators below them. Birds are often a giveaway of feeding fish below. Not just diving and squawking gulls, but a single turn or a gull hovering above the surface looking down. He's probably looking at a school of bait and waiting for the predators to come back and feed on them. Or if you see a gull flying 20 feet off the water surface, zigzagging, speeding up, slowing down, dipping down, picking back up again. He's most likely tracking a school of fish, waiting for them to intersect with a bait ball so that he can drop in and get a few pieces. Now, of course, the one you really want to see is a flock of birds that peppers the sky 
so thick and concentrated and hovering above the water like they're flying on a treadmill. That's a sure sign that a blitz is happening. Sometimes when these gulls are so thick in the sky, you can see them from a half mile away. And learn your birds, because not every bird is created equal. Terns are really talented at catching their own bait. Just because you see a few terns dipping down and feeding does not mean there are predators below. They could just be feeding on a loose school of silversides or anchovies. Now, if you see a gull or a group of gulls feeding, they're not quite as good at catching their own bait. Most likely, something is below the surface chewing that bait up, and they're just picking up the leftovers off of the surface. Pelicans will also get in on the bait ball action. But just because you see pelicans feeding does not mean that they're a predator fish below. Pelicans are really good at catching their own bait, just like terns are. And pelicans will also feed on larger bait sources that may not be something that an albacore or a bluefish or a Spanish mackerel is necessarily feeding on. Any bird can be a sign of a blitz that's getting ready to occur, but gulls are generally my favorite to look for. Finding fish isn't necessarily difficult. It's just covering water and keeping your eyes open and knowing what to look for. This next area of focus, I think, is one of the most important and one that's often neglected. It's boat position. I really think boat position is everything when it comes to being successful at casting to blitzing fish, especially if you're fishing on a fly rod. Depending on the situation and the fish species, there are different ways that fish feed on a bait ball. Sometimes the bait ball stays in one place and fish slash in every direction coming through that bait ball. Sometimes the bait ball stays in place and the fish all slash in one direction, often into the wind or into the current, and they circle around and they continue to come back in that direction. And then other times, the bait is moving, often again into the current or into the wind, and the fish are chasing the bait and slashing through it. In this situation, you're actually watching the bait zip across the surface while the predators slash from behind and continue to push and drive the bait into the wind or into the current. With species like false albacore, when they're blitzing and pushing bait, they can move at unbelievable speeds, which adds a whole other dynamic to approaching and getting in front of these fish. So let's talk about the approach. I often see anglers and boaters approach a school head on. They see the target and they run up to it and they stop just short of it. And this goes for both bait balls that are stationary with fish feeding on them and moving bait balls. Generally, that 12 o'clock head on approach is not the best way to approach these bait balls and these blitzing fish, especially if you're going to toss a fly at them. Think about it this way. Your boat doesn't have brakes like a car does. If you run up to a blitz and you throw it in neutral, you're still sliding forward towards that school of bait. You throw your fly in there and you strip as fast as you can, and the fly is not moving at all or barely moving because all you're doing is you're stripping in your slack as the boat drifts forward from the momentum. This can be extremely frustrating. And I'm always telling my anglers, don't cast at 12 o'clock when we approach blitzing fish. Often they still do that, and they strip and strip and strip as fast as they can. And they get frustrated because they're stripping in slack, and the fly's not moving, and the fish have moved on at this point. 
there are a couple ways to approach these stationary bait balls of fish that are much more successful than coming head on at them. The first way to do it is to approach the school of bait, and then when you go into neutral, spin the wheel of your boat to turn your boat sideways to them. Now you've got fish coming down your 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock, or your 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, and 3 o'clock. And now you can make a few casts of these fish as they blitz without having to worry about the boat drifting up and causing slack in your line. The other way to approach a stationary bait ball and blitzing fish is to, as you approach them, just pull off to the right or left a little bit and drive alongside of them, again, giving yourself a 9, 10, or 11 o'clock cast, or a 1, 2, or 3 o'clock cast. Just changing the angle of your boat in relation to that school of fish will make it much easier to cast, much easier to strip, and actually get your fly moving right away, and also allow you to hopefully get multiple casts on the school. Rarely will a cast at 12 o'clock end up in anything other than frustration. Now imagine we're approaching a bait ball that's not stationary, one that's moving into the wind at high speeds, and the predator fish are in pursuit slashing through it. I often see anglers chasing after these fish, basically following them behind their tail, trying to catch up, making a cast of them, but by the time the jig or the fly hits the water surface, the fish have already moved on. When these fish are moving, set up a trap. There's no need to chase them. Let them come to you. If you take a few seconds and watch those bait balls moving and look at the direction that the fish are chasing them, you can often just go get ahead of them and let them come right to your boat. Here in North Carolina, at least, our fish are often chasing the bait into the wind, which actually works out fantastic for us, especially if we're fly anglers. We can look at where the fish are moving, make a big loop around and just get ahead of them and wait for them to come to us. Now we've got fish approaching us into the wind, but we're casting with the wind at our back. And all we have to do is wait and time it right, and then throw that flyer, that jig out in front of that school, and within a few strips that school is circled around our fly, and we're usually hooked up. Now imagine that same situation with two fly anglers on the boat. Sounds like it might be a little tricky fishing a bait ball together, but it's not that hard. Put one angler on the front of the boat and one angler on the stern of the boat. If you put the fish at 9 o'clock on the left side of the boat, both anglers can cast, with the angler on the front of the boat making a forward cast on the left side of the boat, and the angler on the back of the boat making a back cast to the fish on the left side of the boat. Oftentimes we'll double up on fish with this technique. Next time around the fish may pop up on the right side of the boat, and the guy on the front of the boat's making a back cast to the right side of the boat, and the guy on the stern of the boat's making a forward cast to the back side of the boat. Once you get that technique worked out, it's not that hard and it's pretty successful. The last thing I want to cover with boat positioning is keeping fish happy. Blitzing fish can have different moods depending on the day of the week. Some days you could run full throttle up to a blitz and cast right in it and the fish could care less. There are other days when the fish will disappear and quit blitzing when you get within 100 yards of them because of the motor sound. The more these fish get pressured by boats fishing around them, the quicker they'll disappear with the sound of a motor. Oftentimes, it's the drop in pitch in your motor when you come off a plane and you go into neutral that sends the fish diving. 
It's not the steady sound of the motor, but it's the change in the sound of the motor. So often it's better to come off of your throttle several hundred feet or even several hundred yards away from the fish and then idle towards them. It can be tough if you're impatient and the fish are blitzing, but you've got a much better chance of keeping those fish happy on the surface. Plus, it's just plain respectful for the other anglers around you. Here on the Crystal Coast, we'll often have 10, 20, sometimes more than that, boats working one general area on multiple groups of blitzing albacore in the fall. And that situation can work out well for hours sometimes until one angler shows up and runs full throttle to the schools of fish and starts putting them down. And then sometimes it can become a domino effect where a second angler decides to compete with the first angler to try to beat them to the fish, and then everything completely falls apart at that point. Don't be that guy. Okay, so we found the fish. We've worked on our boat positioning. The next part is the actual cast in the presentation. There's a lot of little things people do wrong that really reduces their chances of hookup. These are fast and furious situations where the fish are only there for a few seconds. They're highly focused on the bait they're eating, maybe in a small area, and you're trying to get a quick cast in there before they're gone and you have to chase them down again. So the first part of it is make your cast count. Remember how we said we don't make 12 o'clock casts to blitzing fish because the boat will just run over your line? You have to hold back that urge to make that cast as the boat approaches the fish. Wait until the boat turns sideways or comes side to those fish and then make your cast. If you make a cast towards a school of blitzing fish and your fly falls short because you went too early, oftentimes those fish have moved on by the time you can pick it up and recast. If you had just hesitated for one or two more seconds, you would have made a cast that got into the meat. Same deal if you've gotten upwind of moving fish and they're approaching you. Wait until you can make that cast right to the lead fish of the school. Because if you cast too soon and you pick up to make a second cast, oftentimes that school of fish have blitzed right past the boat by the time you're reset and ready again. Another important thing to do when you're focused on your cast is to show it to all of the fish. Oftentimes, we'll get a school of blitzing fish on the side of the boat. And the closest one is 20 feet away, and the furthest one's 40 feet away. And there's 100 fish between that one 20 foot and that one that's 40 foot away. And the angler will make a cast to that fish that's 20 feet from the boat. In two strips, they're outside of the blitz. And the fish are not going to see the fly. If they had made that 40 foot cast to the other side of the blitz, they would have showed that fly to all of those fish and made a huge increase on the likelihood that they were going to get to eat. Don't show it just to one fish, to the closest fish. Show it to all of the fish. Get it in the meat, throw it right on the other side of the blitz, and strip that fly or rip that jig through the entirety of those fish. If you can make the cast and cover all of them, why would you just cast to the closest fish? If those fish are moving or pointing a certain direction, Lead them. Even if the bait ball is stationary, you'll often see fish coming up facing one direction when they're blitzing. So throw the fly along the bait ball in a spot where the fish are actually going to see it. Don't throw it where their tails are coming up. Throw it in front of where their faces are coming up. Those fish are really focused on what's right in front of their face as they feed on it. So put the fly in the direction that the fish are looking. And often if there are birds above the blitz, they're going to mirror the fish. If the fish are looking a certain direction, the birds will too. 
So put your fly in the water just ahead of where the birds are looking, and most likely you will be putting it just ahead of where the fish are looking also. The birds are flying into the wind, and often the fish are moving into the current or into the wind at the same time. They mirror each other. Now, if you've got a school of moving fish that are blitzing on the surface, you're going to have to lead them quite a bit. So just anticipate how far you need to cast that fly in front of that school of fish so that they're getting there about the time that you're stripping it across the water surface. Another important part of your cast and your presentation is fishing efficiently. Work on that double haul so that you only have to make one or two false casts to get your fly out to these fish. They often don't allow you to hang around long enough for you to make four or five false casts. Another part of fishing efficiently, and we've talked about it in previous episodes, is not letting go of your fly line when you shoot it. Instead of letting the fly line completely go and then having to look down and pick it up, put it back in your stripping hand, instead, just form a loop between your thumb and your index finger and shoot the line through that loop, constantly having control of that fly line. And I'm actually transferring the fly line into my right hand and under the cork to start stripping while the fly is still shooting, while the line's still shooting out. That way, if you get efficient enough with it, you can actually get that fly stripping and moving before it even touches the surface of the water. Then you've got a fly entering the water moving, and those fish immediately see it as something that's worth eating when it lands in front of their face. Often on blitzing fish, your eat's going to come in the first couple strips or the first couple winds of a spinning rod handle. So you want to be efficient and make sure you're actually fishing those first couple seconds that your fly or your lure is actually in the water. If your fly hits the water and you're sitting there dealing with slack or line management issues or trying to grab your fly line again, often those fish are going to be gone by the time you're ready to actually strip the line and fish for them. Speaking of fishing efficiently, if you make a poor cast and it lands 10, 20 feet away from the school because of the wind or whatever issues, don't fish it. Pick it up if the fish are still there and put it in the white water. If you're constantly trying to lay your fly line across the meat, across all the fish that are feeding, across the bait, across the boils, across the whitewater, under the birds, you're going to get eight. And along with the presentation thing, don't be afraid to vary your retrieve if what you're doing isn't working. You always hear, strip fast, strip faster, faster, reel as fast as you can. There are some times when I actually get a better bite doing a medium strip or even a slow strip through a blitz of fish, just enough to keep the slack tight so your fly looks like an injured bait fish that's falling below the school. So, yeah, generally strip medium fast or fast, but if that's not working, don't be afraid to vary your retrieve. Those predator fish are staring down a bait ball of several hundred, if not thousands, of bait fish. For your fly to stand out and for them to see it, it's often the fact that that fly is not doing the same thing that all of those actual live bait fish are doing as they're circling and grinding around in that school trying to stay away from those predators and here comes your fly just straight through the school like you're not paying attention to anything and those fish will key into that one goofy looking bait fish and they'll take advantage of him because he's not working with the rest of that school so sometimes not just having that different that different swimming pattern of everybody else but also having a different swimming speed with your strip or your retrieve can turn those fish on and get them off that bait ball and chasing after your fly. And if the fish vanish on you and they're not blitzing anywhere within sight, we'll keep casting. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut occasionally. 
you know, these fish really only blitz one or 2% of their life. The rest of the time they're down below the surface, maybe 10, 20, 30 feet down, running around looking for bait to eat. It's only when they drive those bait balls to the surface that you actually see them feeding. They're often feeding just out of sight. And if you had fish blitzing in that area, or you're marking bait on the fish finder, the fish are probably still within a cast range of you. So keep on casting and keep on stripping until something better pops up blitzing. Of course, you've got a better chance casting to blitzing fish because you know you're actively throwing into feeding fish. But if they're not blitzing, just keep on casting. And speaking of casting to fish that aren't visible, don't be afraid to go deep. I'm often fishing intermediate lines trying to get one or two inches below the surface when fishing for blitzing fish. But if we're marking lots of bait in an area where albies or blues or Spanish or stripers have been, so don't be afraid to grab that three, 350 or 400 grain sinking line and start dredging a fly 15, 20 feet below your boat. Oftentimes those fish are still down there and they're feeding deep. And if you can get a fly down to them, you're going to have a lot more success than the anglers who are waiting for a blitz to pop up before they cast. All right, here's the fifth area of focus for fishing the blitz. Match the hatch. Now, some species of fish aren't that picky. Bluefish, for example, you can find a school of bluefish feeding on inch and a half bait fish that are slender, and you throw a big fat four inch fly out in front of them, or a topwater popper, or something that doesn't resemble what they're feeding on at all, and they're opportunistic and they'll take it. But there are a lot of species like Spanish mackerel and albacore that are really focused on the profile, the length and the the diameter of the bait fish that they're feeding on. And you really need to get close to that profile to get their attention. Often color doesn't matter nearly as much as matching the shape and size of the bait fish. They can be eating a little translucent bait fish and they may eat a hot pink fly as long as it's close to the same size as what they're feeding on. Sometimes with extremely picky species like false albacore, we'll find a group that are feeding on two and a half inch long anchovies in the morning. And we'll match the hatch with a fly that looks like a two and a half inch anchovy. And then maybe an hour or two later, we'll find that same group of fish in the same area that are eating little three quarter inch long larval bait fish. We call them snot bait because they just look like a clear little booger basically with black eyes on it. If you don't have a fly that's that same size and profile, they'll ignore it. You throw that fly that was two and a half inches long that they were eating an hour or two before, and they'll completely ignore it. They don't want anything to do with it, so you have to match the hatch. Now, sometimes the matching the hatch doesn't work. You may not have the right size bait or fly to match what they're feeding on. Sometimes getting weird with it, just the pure shock factor of throwing something completely different will get you bit. Oftentimes when the fish like false albacore or Spanish mackerel are feeding on very, very small baits that are hard for us to replicate with a fly or a jig, we'll go really big. Instead of throwing something that's an inch long, we'll throw a four or five inch bait, maybe a big hot pink soft plastic or a big chartreuse deceiver fly out in front of these fish, and that will get their attention. So generally, I try to match the hatch with both color and profile to what they're naturally eating. But if it doesn't work, then I'm not afraid to get weird with it and throw some big flies at them and some bright colors at them. Okay, so now we found our fish. We know our correct boat positioning, our cast and our presentation, 
and we're matching the hatch. So we're throwing something that the fish want to eat. Now we're hooking fish. So the final area of focus I want to talk about today is fighting the fish. Now, generally with fly fishing and fishing around the blitz, it's happening so fast paced that if something can go wrong, it's going to go wrong, much more so than spin. So I'm going to focus more on fly fishing with this last part when I talk about fighting the fish. Good line management is key. If there's something on your boat when an albacore or a striper or a bluefish hits that you can get tangled on, it's going to happen. A cleat, your shoes, a trolling motor, a loose tackle box sitting in the bottom of the boat. If it's there, your line's going to get tangled around it. So make sure your deck is clear of obstructions. Make sure you have control of your line. If you hook a hot fish in a blitz and he takes off, use your line stripping hand to put just enough pressure on that fly line until that fish gets on the reel. Separate your hands and control that line to make sure it's not tangling on anything as that fish takes off with your fly. Here's a quick story about one of the worst line management issues we had. A few years back, I had a friend of mine named Braden come out fishing at Cape Lookout in the fall. We were trying to get him on his first false albacore on fly. We were having a pretty good day. We'd gotten into a blitz of fish off the shoals at Cape Lookout. Braden had landed his first albacore on fly. We got some pictures and released it. Everything was going great. We were working on something with his reel, and we'd stripped out probably 30 or 40 feet of fly line on the deck of the boat while we were messing with the reel, and the fly was dangling out the rod tip into the water beside the boat. And if you've ever fished for false albacore, you can probably guess what happened next. Lone Alby came up and grabbed the fly off the surface of the water and took off. And now we had 30 or 40 feet of slack fly line on the deck of the boat that just jumped up, just jumped up off the deck of the boat and was flying everywhere at 30, 40 miles an hour as this fish took off with that hook in his mouth. The fly line actually came up and wrapped around Braden's neck twice and cinched down around his throat with a 10-pound tuna on the other end, pulling as hard as it could. I was a few feet away behind the center console and I saw it happening. I ran up as quick as I could and I shoved my fingers between the fly line and Braden's throat to relieve the pressure. And I was able to get my fingers in there and pull the fly line and broke the fish off at the tippet. Braden spent the rest of the day with two red slashes around his throat, but otherwise none the worse for wear. Just goes to show how quick things can happen when you're fishing a blitz and hot fish with a fly rod. Now, sometimes these fish don't immediately burn off and put themselves on the reel. Depending on the size of the fish and the species, you may strip the fish all the way in. Don't try to force a fish onto the reel if he's not ready to. Let him take the line and put himself on the reel. Oftentimes, anglers will lose a fish when it runs towards them and gets some slack and a head shake while they're focused on putting their line on the reel. Treat him like a small fish until he acts like a big fish. Now, when that fish does run, Let the drag do the work. You want to get down and dirty when you're fighting these fish and land them quickly so that they're healthy when you release them and you can get back out there and catch another one. I often see anglers trying to fight fish with the tip of their rods. Tip of the rod is the soft part of the rod. It's flexible and it's made for casting and accuracy. But it's not good at fighting fish. Point the rod tip at the fish when they run. Put a slight angle in that rod and let the drag do the work to slow the fish down and tire it down. If that fish runs left, you pull the rod to the right, and if that fish goes right, you pull the rod to the left. If that fish is running, take your hands off of the reel so you don't bust your knuckles and let him go. Let the drag wear him down. And when he slows down and stops, crank, crank, crank as fast as you can. 
you'll feel that fish when he surges to run again and just get your hands off the reel and let the drag do the work again. You want to fight the fish with the butt of the rod. So let the tip of the rod relax and point right at the fish and pull that fish to the side so that the butt section of the rod is what has all the bend in it. That thickest part of your rod blank's got the most power and it's going to fight a fish and whip him much quicker than bending the rod tip. Often with species such as false albacore, when they finish their runs and you get them near the boat, they dive down. Sometimes we're only fishing in 5 or 10 foot of water for these fish, but often we're fishing in 30, 40 feet, and those fish will use that depth to their advantage. They'll dive straight down and pump in a circle on their side to try to keep themselves away from the surface of the water. When you're trying to lift those fish, you have to be careful not to bring your rod tip up above eye level. It's called high sticking. And when you bring your rod tip up like that, it's just going to fold over like a candy cane. And when that fish surges downward, he can very easily break your fly rod, even a spinning rod. Not only is high sticking a fish and having them dive down and fold your rod in half a concern, also having fish dive down and slam your rod into the gunnels of the boat and break it in half is another concern. So be aware of these fish when they're close to the boat. And if you feel that the fish is working his way under the boat and to the other side, try to be aware of that before he makes that run and work your rod around to the other side. If he dives deep and you feel like he's going to take your rod into the gunnel, then start stripping line off of your fly reel as quick as possible to give a little bit of relief on your rod as you work the rod around to the other side of the boat. Keep the butt section of your rod low and parallel to the water. Let your rod tip go into the water as you pump that fish up. And when that fish gets close to the boat, work him around towards your fishing buddy and let him grab that fish or net that fish for you. Don't try to do it yourself. Often as fly anglers fishing in a blitz, we're not grocery shopping. We're out after the experience. So if you're planning to catch and release that fish, treat him with some respect, get a few photos, and properly release them back into the water. There's plenty more fish to chase for the day's over. All right, well, I think that about sums it up for the five areas to focus on when fishing a blitz. You know, again, I'm, I'm a false albacore fanatic, but all these techniques will work in one way or another for stripers and blues and mackerel and jacks and, and whatever your favorite blitzing fish is. You just have to adapt a little bit to the situation. I hope a few of these tips helped you out today, and I hope you can put them to use next time you go out chasing the fall blitz. I hope you're looking forward to this fall season as much as I am the cool weather, the vests, the pumpkin spice coffee, and the blitzing fish in front of your boat. Thanks so much for the support again. And if you enjoy this podcast or found it helpful, please leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform and share it with your friends on social media. Thanks and have a great one. We'll see you next time. <music>